The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled by this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for she who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. How can Mary say yes to this? How can Mary say yes to this? Look at the costs of Mary saying yes to this. If she says yes to what God is calling her to, she will be facing the cost of her fiance. Verse 27 says that she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, she doesn't know that Gabriel has got another stop before he returns to heaven. Next week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and look at Joseph's story and the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream. But she doesn't know that. Her assumption at this moment is when she conceives this child in her womb that her fiancé Joseph is not going to believe the story, God got me pregnant. Her marriage, her future marriage is on the line. But also she faces the cost of giving up her body in service. Verse 31 says, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son to know what a woman goes through in conception and bearing a child and birthing a child and caring for a child, that pouring out of your body. I've seen it in my wife four times over. This is no small sacrifice. She's giving up her body to God. She's giving up her fiance and she's giving up her security. She's giving up any real hope for a secure future. See, verse 27 and 34, three times we're told she's a virgin. Virgin, virgin, virgin. And here's the point. It's not just about her reputation. Let's say, for example, that Joseph doesn't turf her. 
people back in the first century did have calendars. They're going to look at the date of the marriage and the birth of the child. They're going to say, this doesn't quite add up. But it's not her reputation. It's her security. Because the likelihood is Joseph is not going to keep her. And therefore, what's she going to do? This is the first century. She is a young, unwed mother. She will have been considered to have turned her back on her fiance, on her family, on her community, on her faith. Who will take her in? This is what Mary is facing in this moment as Gabriel comes to her. And yet she says, verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. How does she say yes? And let's be clear. She's examining all of this. Some people make the mistake of thinking that faith or Christianity is sort of this blind encounter. You know, not really thinking. I just got to sort of throw myself in there. I remember as an atheist... I used to think that when you go into a church, there must be a basket at the back that says, put your brain in here. But rather, no, Mary is thoroughly considering these costs. Verse 29 says that she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That word tried to discern, it's, it's the word in Greek, dialogizumai. And I like it because it says dialogue. You can hear it right in there. She's dialoguing in her mind all about what this means. What does it mean that this angel shows up? What is this supernatural birth all about? It means for her to question it, for her to take an audit of it, to be very rational about these things. Mary's thinking these things through. She's got the costs fully in mind. And this is so refreshing for people who struggle with faith, isn't it? To know that it's okay to struggle. In fact, it's holy and appropriate. Mary struggled in this moment with the implications of what this would mean. And yet she said, yes. How? I mean, how does a person, any person, say yes to God? I don't know about you, but I've got many people in my life who I pray heartily that they would come to say yes to God. And I know that there's people in this room who perhaps right now are saying to God, how do I say yes to you? How do I find that ability to say yes to you? Or maybe you're going through a period of doubt and struggle and you're saying, how do I say yes to God in this season ahead? President George Herbert Walker Bush was one of these people of faith. He was a man of faith. George Bush Sr. was the president uh, during my teen years. So he was sort of the first president that I kind of interacted with at an intellectual level. And I remember grabbing a hold of something he said one day. Several things. I remember several things. But one thing, and I thought, okay, now this I can use at home. The president of the United States just said this. So I walked into the kitchen and I literally quoted the president. President Bush just said, Mom, I do not like broccoli. And I haven't liked it since I was a little kid and my mother made me eat it and I'm the president of the United States and I'm not going to eat broccoli anymore. <laughs> and it didn't really work on my mother because she said, you're not the president of the United States. <laughs> but I also remember this hearty Texan and his ability to kind of say it as it is who once said, never ask anyone over the age of 70 how they feel. They'll tell you. But these words, so poignant and so important today. 
Bush said, Lincoln, Lincoln said you cannot be president without spending some time on your knees. I've repeated that and a bunch of atheists got all over me about it. Wait a minute. Does that mean that you cannot be president if you're an atheist? I say, yeah, that does mean that. May this great Texan rest in peace and rise in glory. He was a man of faith. But how do you get there? How does a person say yes to God? As we see in the text and we see throughout Scripture, the only way a person can say yes to God is because they encounter grace. That's everything in this story, grace. They have to encounter grace. That's the only way a person can say yes to God because as we count the costs, it must be something much greater that we're saying yes to and that much greater is God's grace. See, verse 28 and 30, it's the heart of the passage. What does Gabriel say to Mary? Greetings, O favored one. Verse 28, verse 30, fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, here's, here's we've got to be careful because we can misinterpret what this word means. Favor, we can think, oh, Mary was so uniquely amazing in and of herself that she grabbed God's attention. God had been waiting, you know, thousands and thousands of years and then finally Mary showed up and he said, oh, finally one who is favored. And he came down and sent the angel. That's not what happened. Because that's not what the word means. In fact, the word means just the opposite. Favor is the word grace, charis in the Greek. Greetings, O graced one. Fear not, Mary, for you have found grace with God. That word charis, grace, means precisely that it's kindness being shown to someone who did not deserve it. It's kindness being shown that has not been merited or earned. That's what grace means. What this word means is that Mary was shown grace from God. It's not something that she had earned to get God's attention. Rather, God in love had looked down and said, I'm going to pour on this one my grace. Kindness unearned. And this grace this promise of grace is what makes her say yes, even in the face of these incredible costs. You see, what Mary encounters with this grace is the grace of God's presence, that God will pour out his kindness, his unmerited kindness on her with his own presence. God will be present with her. But not only will God's grace be seen in his presence with Mary, but God will show her grace in pouring out his purpose into her life, that she will no longer be able to say after this moment, I don't know what my life's all about, that purpose has been given, that grace of God's own purpose in her life, but not just God's presence and God's purpose, but the grace poured out on Mary is God's own power, the power being brought to bear in her life, in her body to bring this about. First, Mary's offered the grace of God's presence. Verse 28, the angel says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, Mary, with you. God is with you. 
And do you know what I find amazing about this word that comes from the angel? It's as if that angel had been waiting 800 years to say those words. Because 800 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had the word of the Lord speak through him in Isaiah chapter 7 and say of this future king, the virgin will be with child and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was predicted 800 years earlier. God would become present in the person of this child. And now the angel finally gets to deliver the message. And what comes out of his mouth? God is with you. And Mary, in a moment, he will be with you. He will be literally living within you. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary the next time she went to the synagogue after this moment, and heard those words from the scroll of Isaiah being read. Emmanuel, God with us. Now liturgically, we do this all the time, don't we? When I say in an Anglican setting, the Lord be with you, you respond. Right? We do this back and forth again and again. And is that not exactly what we're saying? We're speaking that word of blessing over each other, Christian to Christian, saying, may God's presence be in your life. That's the grace. God with her. And we desperately need God's presence. We desperately need God's grace of his presence. Because without it, we are not going to be able to walk this calling in our lives. How do you think David has the ability to write in the Psalms, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It is God's presence with David through his adversities that helps him not fear. And it is the presence of Emmanuel, Jesus the Christ, come in the flesh, Born, lived, died, risen, ascended, and with us yet today. What does he say at the end of his gospel? I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the grace that we so desperately need. I love that moment in Exodus chapter 33. Moses is up the mountain and everything is being poured in front of him. I mean, it's, it's like his own Gabriel moment. Everything's being poured on him. Here's what's going to happen with Israel. Here's what's going to happen in your life. And what does Moses say? He says, if you don't go with us, don't send us. Like, you can only call me to do this if you promise you'll go with me. And God says, I will be with you always. Mary is offered the grace of God's presence. And so are we. But not only is Mary offered the grace of God's presence, but also God's purpose. We long for purpose. We desperately long for purpose. But, but real purpose. Uh, a number of years ago, a number of years ago, um, one of my favorite roles um, was, was playing the title role in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And there's a, there's a beautiful song in there that, that you, many, many of you recognize. And I'll say it's beautiful, but, but Joseph sings this at the very end. He says, I wore my coat with golden lining, bright colors shining, wonderful and new. And in the east, the dawn was breaking, but the world was waking. Here's the song title, Any Dream Will Do. And I'm sorry, Sir Andrew, Sir Tim, it's a dumb lyric. 
It's a beautiful song, but it's a dumb. Any dream will do? Really, any old dream? Like, just give me a, no, there are plenty of dreams that are beneath me and beneath you that we give ourselves to every day. There are banal dreams. There are rotten dreams. There are dreams that will waste our lives. I don't want any old dream. I want a dream from God. That's the purpose that we desire. Give me something that will really matter. And what does God say to Mary through the angel? Verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, which means God saves. Mary is given this incredible purpose to bear the king into the world. The only king that will ever be able to solve our problems. The only one under whose banner we can truly find peace and unity. This is the king that is coming into this world. And she will bear him into the world. That is her purpose. I, I, I find that one of the coolest things about Christianity is that the very first Christian was a 14-year-old girl. I mean, Mary was 13, 14, 15. Let's say 14. The first Christian. Because she was the first person in human history to literally receive Jesus into her life. Not just a future concept of Messiah or Yahweh like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, right? But to actually receive Jesus, to know his name and say, I receive him into my life. That's the first Christian, Mary, a 14-year-old girl. I live in a house full of girls. All teenagers and one preteen. And I find my girls so smart and so strong and so talented. And yet as a father, I still just want to wrap my arms around them and say, but you're so little. And yet I read this gospel and I hear that a 14-year-old girl is given this purpose to bear the king into the world. And this is what our world needs. We'll read those words on Christmas Eve from Isaiah 2. Again, that same scroll from 800 years earlier. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow, a light has dawned. Why? Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. This is the one who will give everything up for us, including his own life. This is what a true king looks like. And she bears him into the world. But friends, here's the reality. This purpose that Mary has of bearing the king in the world, as, as unique as her role is, we, in, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they refer to Mary as the Theotokos, the, the God-bearer. She has a unique role. She literally bears Jesus in her body. But for us, we too bear the king into the world. That purpose is there for us 
to bear the king into the world through our life, through our living, through our witness, through our service. We bear his name in the world. This is the purpose that has been given to you and to me, that the world would know who the king is because of our life. That's why we added the baptismal candles back to the service a few weeks back. Baptismal candles have always been an option in baptism service. And so I said, let's, let's bring the candles back. Because what an image for the newly baptized, the new believer to be handed that candle and say, receive the light of Christ to show you have walked from darkness into light. And then to hear these words, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That purpose that Mary is given, this grace, you can bear the king into the world. But not only is Mary offered the grace of God's presence, God with us. Not only is Mary offered the grace of God's purpose to bear the king in the world, but Mary is offered the grace of God's own power in her. See, at this point in the message, I really need this because I don't know about you, Usually at this point in a sermon, it's all getting kind of loaded on top and the burden's getting pretty heavy. Like, wow, there's a lot there. And, you know, I'm going to really have to rearrange rearrange my life and everything's going to have to change after today. And, you know, my checklist is coming out and I got to pull up my bootstraps and I got to sort of make this work in my life. And it's New Year's resolution, Advent 1, New Year, Happy New Year. New Year's resolution, I got to do all these new things. And that burden gets bigger and bigger in our lives. But this is not how the gospel works. God does not make a promise to us that he is not willing to put the full power behind to make it happen. He will be the one doing it in you. He will be the one doing it, thanks be to God, in me. It is his power brought to bear that makes this happen. Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God's own presence And power will come over and live within Mary. God's power will do this, not her own. God's power will do this in our lives, not our own. I think sometimes we are functionally binitarians instead of Trinitarians. We we talk about being Trinitarian. The service opened in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But I think a lot of Christians are pretty binitarian. It's all about the Father. It's all about the Son. Ah, Holy Spirit, we're not quite sure. Not quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm convinced that there are really two kinds of Christians in the world. Really two kinds of Christians. There are, it's not denomination. It's not style of worship. There are Christians who believe that God's word and God's spirit are living and active and moving in this world now. And then there's those who don't really functionally believe that. And let me be clear. I don't care about whether hands are up or you fall down or you speak in tongues or not. What I care about is do we believe in the power of God living in the ordinary average Christian who's been brought through the waters of baptism, waters of death to new life, power of the spirit. This is what's promised to Mary and this is what's promised to us. And you may say, oh no, it's not. It's just for Mary. It's just Mary's story. Well, it's interesting. What does verse 35 say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is Luke's first chapter where he says this. 
But this is Luke's first book. In Luke's next book, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter one, Jesus now risen, just as he's about to ascend, says almost the exact same words to the disciples. In chapter one, verse eight, he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. These two phrases are almost identical. In other words, this is not just some special power poured out from Mary. This is power that is poured out on every single believer. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured out on you to enable you to live in a way that you by nature are unable to live on your own. When we were in Cambodia, some of you know this story, um, there's been many, many, many Cambodia stories. I got like at least another 10 years worth of Cambodia stories. But when we were in Cambodia, Monica and I, um, some of you know the story that we were um, in, in the very uh, final stages of the search process uh, for the, the next rector of Christ Church. And I got, a, I got a, con- a text from the warden saying, can we talk? And I said, I'm in Cambodia. And, and they sort of said, well, we can wait till we get back. And I just couldn't let it go. I'm like, Okay, we've got to have this phone call. And I, here's what I figured the phone call was. I thought, okay, they got a final slate of candidates and they're calling the people who didn't get the job to kind of get them off the list because they got to call us before they call the guy who really did get the job. And so I'm like, let's just get this out of the way, rip the Band-Aid off, it's not happening. And so 13-hour time difference, okay? So it is 8 p.m., in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and it's 7 a.m. in Dallas, Texas. And we're talking, and I find the one place, there's only one place in Phnom Penh with a strong enough Wi-Fi signal to actually FaceTime on. So we're sitting there in this restaurant, 8 p.m. at night, top floor, pretty much all by ourselves, Monica and I and one other person in there. And, and, and we're listening into this, this conversation where the wardens effectively say, we want you and your family to come down for an interview because you're, you know, the final candidate. And I said, really? I thought the phone call was going to go a different way. (laughs) We're on the other side of the world and our whole world is about to be turned upside down by this calling. We pray, we get off the call, close the computer. There's one other person in the restaurant. No, there's one other person in the restaurant. And he walks over to me and Monica and says, are you from Plano, Texas? And we said, no. And he said, well, I just couldn't help but overhear your conversation. And I said, yeah, we're just interviewing for a job. And he said, that's so weird because I'm from Plano, Texas. We're in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, one person in the restaurant. I'm from Plano. I say, you mean you're from Texas? And he said, no, I'm from Plano. I said, you mean DFW? He said, I'm from Plano and went to school there. Spends the next half hour telling Monica and I how great a community Plano is and how we're going to love moving there. And he's basically part of the search committee. And I thought, David Rosebury sent this guy here. (laughs) But here's the reality. This is the power of God. This is a God who is moving in this world and will do more than we could ask or imagine with his power living in us. Stranger than fiction. How can Mary say yes to God with all of this? She can say it because though she considers the cost, she sees the grace. The grace poured out to her. 
Perhaps God is calling you to say yes to him for the first time today. It will be grace that breaks through that cost. Perhaps God is calling you back to himself after a long season away. It will be grace that calls you through those costs. And maybe God is calling you to a new adventure of calling and faith today. And it will be grace that pushes through those costs and brings your yes. In closing, I use these words from Friedrich Biekner I've quoted before about the angel. Now just be clear here, the angels are not omniscient. God knew what Mary was going to do, but the angels didn't. Only God is omniscient. Here are these words from Friedrich Biekner. She struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give to her and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of this girl. Friends, I stand with the same degree of trepidation knowing what hangs in the balance at whether you will say yes to God or not. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.